Well, at Sovereign Grace, I just completed a five-part series on parenting. Julian thought it would be helpful for me to bring to you one of those sermons. As many of you are new or expectant parents, or you are veteran parents who have somewhat lost the forest for the trees, and isn't that true for all of us in this difficult season where many of us have spent more time with our kids at home because of COVID, doing online learning than we ever have before, it can feel often like we're not making any progress and instead we're just trying to survive. Uh, We're just trying to tread water and keep ourselves from drowning and we've lost a biblical perspective on what God has called us to do as parents. We need a biblical refresher for what parenting is all about. Not only about the what of parenting, but the why of parenting. I often tell people who are expecting new children uh, that God made babies cute so that you don't chuck them out the window. (laughs) Sometimes we need reminders of why God has called us to raise these little people. In addition, every generation brings new challenges when it comes to parenting. Many of those challenges are cultural, and right now, one of those challenges is that our culture teaches us that parenting is all about the happiness of our children. We do what pleases our kids. If piano lessons don't make them happy, then they don't have to do them. But if they really, really love hockey, and their hockey tournaments take them out of town on Sundays and they don't go to church, that's fine, as long as it makes them happy. You could call this a child-centric view of parenting. What the child desires, prefers, and wants becomes the center of our parenting universe, and everything orbits around their wants, their desires, their will. But the Bible says that it's not about them, nor is it about us as the parents. I'm not here to advocate a parent-centric view of parenting where our children just become whatever we want them to become. The Bible's perspective of parenting is that it is all about God. We we must adopt a God-centric view of parenting where it's all about His will, His desires, and His glory. Now, for those who aren't parents, I want to encourage you to listen to this sermon in a slightly different way, not not for perspective per se in the daily grind of your reality, but don't ask yourself, well, well, how does this apply to me? This is a Sunday where I can just check out and, and look at the latest news on my phone. Instead, ask yourself what this text, what this sermon says about God. What does it say about God? And if you listen that way, I guarantee you that this text will lead your heart to worship. I mean, you can enjoy a majestic mountain view in the distance, even if you're not walking on it. You can admire beautiful architecture, even if it's not your house. And you can stand in awe of what God has made the family to be, even if you don't have your own children. And if you listen this way, you may find yourself learning about how to be a father or a mother in your spiritual family, the church. You can be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother who plays a crucial role in raising up the next generation of believers. 
You know, one of the pastors on our staff, his name's Pastor Tim Kerr. He's a hero to many of us, including Julian and myself. Part of his job is to pastor pastors, to, to mentor young pastors, to care for veteran pastors, and, and he has a special gifting in doing that. And he tells me that what mentoring truly is, is spiritual fathering. And there are so many men that he comes across who grew up without a father or grew up without a functional father, and, and they needed someone in the church to step in into that role. Think about Paul and Timothy. Timothy growing up with a believing mother and grandmother, but his father doesn't seem to have been walking in the faith, and Paul identified his gifting and took him alongside and called him my true, my dear child in the faith. That is the opportunity that all of us have, regardless of our family reality. Now, let's look at Psalm 127. The heading tells us that this psalm was written by Solomon, which is important for us to note. You may recall in 2 Samuel chapter 7, King David announced that he wanted to make a house for the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was traveling in a tent while he lived in the palace, and he wanted to change that. He wanted to build the Lord a temple. And in response, the Lord said that he would make David a house, a house that would last forever. This is what it says. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So as we see Solomon, the, the, the heir of David, the son of David, entrusted with this task of building the house of David, we realize that he is writing about this house that God has promised, this dynasty that God will establish forever. This is the house that Solomon is talking about in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You know, you read through the history of Israel and Judah, and you realize how many times the house of David could have crumbled. How many evil kings arose throughout the centuries who could have compromised God's plan to bring about a messianic king to deliver his people from sin. But God was at work building the house of David, keeping his faithful promise until the coming of the Messiah and the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. And so this psalm is primarily about David's house. But it's also about your house and my house, because we see in verses 3 to 5 that they, they don't just speak of children of the king. They speak about children in general. They don't just say, blessed is the king who fills his quiver with children. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And so we can read this text of scripture considering how God wants to build a house through each of us from generation to generation. House full of people who faithfully follow Christ and who live for God's glory. And for that to happen, we need God to act, and we need him to build the house. 
So the title of this sermon is Building a House for the Lord. We're going to divide this text into three points. First, vain parenting. Second, anxious parenting. And third, blessed parenting. Now, verses 1 to 2 use three pictures that describe what parenting is all about. It uses the metaphor of building, the metaphor of protecting, and the metaphor of toiling. And that's what parenting is in a nutshell. You're, you're building up these little people, you're protecting them from harm, and you're toiling. You're working hard at this task. Parenting involves building in the sense that it takes planning and it takes skill. You can't just decide to build a house and start building. You need to plan. You need blueprints. You need an architect. You need engineers before you ever stick the shovel in the ground. Parenting involves protecting, just like you watch over a city, guarding it from approaching enemies. You need to watch over your family. It takes vigilance and it takes alertness. And parenting involves toiling, like the farmer pulling the plow over his land day by day. It's a ton of hard work every single day. But the main point of verses 1 to 2 is that unless the Lord works, all your building, all your protecting, all your toiling, all of that is in vain. Three times in verses 1 and 2, the word vain is used. Unless the Lord builds, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord works, you rise up early and go late to rest in vain. Now, the word vain means that it's empty or meaningless. It is, it is unable to accomplish the purpose for which you are working. I'm reading uh, through the book of Romans with my children in our family devotions. We're reading through Romans 1, and it says that, that the minds of the unbelievers became futile in their thinking. My kids didn't know what that meant, so I explained it this way. At bedtime, I, I put my daughter to, to bed, and I'm, I'm lying beside her. We usually read, and uh, we're reading the Hunger Games right now. And then we pray together. And she often asked me if I could give her ideas for what to pray for. And uh, I usually just lay there and pretend to sleep. Because I want her to come up with her own ideas of what to pray for. And, and I'm always encouraged by what she prays about. But she gets a little frustrated, and so she tries to push me off the bed. And I say, Lily, your attempts to push me off the bed are futile. They are in vain. You can't budge this 160-pound man. With, uh, with, with your little hands. That, that, that is what we do when we work without the Lord. Our building, our protecting, our toiling is in vain unless the Lord works beside us. And this really is lesson number one when it comes to parenting. This is the foundation that we start with. We are called to do something that is impossible for us to accomplish by ourselves. Yeah, I mean, we can raise up children who are hardworking, who are responsible, who have some kind of respectable profession, but we cannot raise up children who fear the Lord, who obey his commands, who live for God's glory, who trust in Christ. That is impossible for us. Yet those are precisely the kinds of children who will result in a house for the Lord from generation to generation. If we are to see a house built for the Lord, we need the Lord to build it with us. 
Now, that does not mean that we can just sit back and do nothing. To have this sort of resigned, fatalistic perspective when it comes to parenting and say, well, the Lord is just going to make my children whatever he wants so I can be passive and I can do other things. This psalm doesn't say, the Lord will build the house so you don't have to. It's saying, unless the Lord builds the house, your labors are all in vain. But if the Lord builds with you, then your labors, your very real hard work every single day will accomplish something beautiful and enduring. In his commentary on the Psalms, Alan Ross helpfully summarizes what it means for the Lord to build the house through us. He says this, We may say that the Lord builds the house if the people build it by faith in the Lord's provision for it, in accordance with his will, in a way that is pleasing to him, honest and fair, dedicate it to his use and purpose, and give glory to him for the accomplishment. That is a wonderful summary of what what this entails. It does not entail passivity. It, It entails a humble dependence on the Lord. We work as God works in us and as God works in our children. Now, this is meant to humble us as we recognize our limitations. And it is meant to comfort us as we realize that it's not all up to us. Because if the burden of changing our children lay exclusively on us, then parenting would just be one series of discouragements after another. You see one of your kids selfishly take a toy from his or her sibling. You call this child to yourself and you you give them a a loving, gospel-centered lecture. Hey, be generous to your sibling. Think about how Christ gave himself for us. And, and think about how you can give to your sibling and, and your child's nodding, right? And you're patting them on the head and you go back and wash the dishes and five minutes later, he's doing the same thing. I mean, how are we supposed to feel in a moment like that, which is on repeat, week by week? If change were up to us, then parenting would just be one failure after another. But the burden is not on us. The burden is on God. In his book on parenting, Paul Tripp helpfully writes this, good parenting is about becoming okay with the fact that you are powerless to change your child. In fact, good parenting is about celebrating the fact that God has never and will never put the burden of change on you. Our job is simple. It's not to create change, but to be humble and willing instruments of change in the hands of the one and only author of change. And that is, that is a good word. I mean, that's a good word for pastors. It's a good work for, for, for those who are discipling people, teachers, parents. It's, it's good for anyone who is entrusted with this responsibility to help people go from one stage of godliness to another. The same is true of our desire to protect our children. We, we build and we protect Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I mean, you can watch over your children all you like, guarding them from all the pernicious, dangerous influences in the world. You can watch their friends. You can watch their entertainment habits. You can watch who they're listening to and following on social media. Listen, it is all in vain without 
the Lord. And do you know why it's in vain? Because the greatest threat to our children does not lie out there. The greatest threat to our children lies in here. I mean, if you've read John Owen's work, Sin and Temptation, you know he uses this metaphor of how you can have a city with the strongest walls and the most vigilant sentries. It will not make an iota of difference if there is a traitor in the city. The traitor will give up the entire city to the enemy. And it doesn't matter how strong the walls are. It doesn't matter how vigilant the sentries are. He will give it up to the enemy. And we have a traitor in our hearts called sin. And it's ready to side with temptation and give everything up to the enemy. And that is why we need the Lord to watch over the city. Because only the Lord can watch the heart. Only the Lord can do something about this traitor and put it to death. Now, one of the characteristics of parenting in your own strength, trusting in your own ability and wisdom and skill, is the constant presence of anxiety. Yeah, you feel anxious because you believe that it's all up to you. Your children are not progressing as you might expect or hope them to, and you become anxious. And you become afraid that you're, you're not doing something that you should be doing. But our psalm helps us with this as well, leading to our second point, anxious parenting. Now, anxiety isn't always sinful. It isn't wrong for you to be anxious if your child is meant to come home at 10 o'clock and it's midnight, or your son is spending too much time with the wrong crowd, or your daughter suddenly closes up to you and is no longer sharing what she's experiencing. Being anxious for our children is part of parenting. It's actually an expression and a manifestation of our love for them. It's a natural response when we fear and we're anxious for those we love. That's why the Apostle Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about his anxiety for all the churches. And when he talks about that to the Corinthians, he's not confessing his sin. He, he is testifying to the great love that he has for them and for all the churches that he has planted. Anxiety can be a sign of love when we're anxious for the well-being of someone else. Now, the question is, what do we do with it? When we feel that anxiety, what, what is our response? Verse 2 describes a person who responds to their anxiety by self-effort. I'm just going to put in more work. I'm going to devote more hours. I'm going to exert more effort. This man tries to artificially lengthen each day. He rises early and he goes late to bed. He burns the candle at both ends of the stick because he believes that it's all up to him. If only he solves the problems that give him anxiety, then everything's going to turn out fine and turn out the way that he wants it to. But that never works. If you've experienced anxiety before, you know that anxiety just creates more anxiety. Anxious people always find more reasons to be anxious. And that's why verse 2 describes this anxious man as eating the bread of anxious toil. Anxiety is his daily bread. His food is flavored with fear because he's constantly anxious about what's going to happen next. I mean, what, what, when's the next pandemic coming? What, when's the next stock market crash coming? What, when is it that I'm going to lose my job again? 
Is my, is my presentation tomorrow going to go well? Am, am I taking too long to enter the real estate market and I'm wasting all this money renting? Is, is my child finally going to come to Christ? These are the questions that anxious people constantly ask themselves. Anxious people are, are constantly trying to gaze into the future and what they project in the future is what they fear. They are prophets of doom and gloom. Or as Ed Welch puts it, warriors are visionaries minus the optimism. I mean, any of us could project what's going to happen in the future. I mean, why does it have to be bad? Why does it always have to turn out the worst possible way? Well, the same can be true of our parenting. We can be visionaries minus the optimism. We worry about whether our kids will get good jobs unless their grades improve. We're anxious about whether our kids will be responsible one day when all they want to do right now is play video games. We stay awake at night, tossing and turning and worried because our children are not opening up to us the way that they used to. Now, verse 2 says that all of that worrying, all that anxiety is in vain. It is useless, it is pointless, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, and why? Why is it in vain? Verse 2 says, for God gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. In our moments of anxiety, God wants us to turn not to our bleak prognosis of the future, to our own self-trust of our assessment of the trends that are in the world. He wants us to turn not to those, but to him, to know his love and to receive his rest. He, he wants us to know that, that even though we don't know the future, he does. And what will happen in the future will happen precisely according to his sovereign and good will. I mean, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious. Because who can add a single hour to his life by being anxious? Is it not vain? Is it not meaningless? So instead of being anxious about all the bad things that might happen, we need to turn to our Heavenly Father and trust Him. Trust the one who knows all that we need before we ask and trust Him to provide in His timing. That leads to our final point, blessed parenting. Blessed parenting. This is mentioned in verse 5 where it says, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with children. When the Bible speaks about being blessed... It's really just speaking about a happiness that comes from God, a, a heavenly happiness. If you are blessed by God, you become a person who is happy in God. It is the experienced reality of the goodness and grace of God in your life. And verse 5 says that the one who has lots of children can experience this blessing. And I say can experience this blessing because we all know Big families that aren't happy. I mean, I serve in a community full of Dutch farmers. And I thought I had a lot of kids with six 
until I met a man who said, that's a good start. <laughs> he has 12. All with the same woman, by the way. I'm not saying that his family's not happy, but there are big families that aren't happy. So what is it that makes having a big family a blessed, happy experience? Well, it begins with a simple but profound truth in verse 3. Behold, look, look at this truth. Behold is a call to look and to stand in awe at what is to come. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. They're a reward from God, an inheritance from the Lord. Now, we live in a time when children are not seen as a reward. I mean, children are often seen as an inconvenience. They're seen as, as getting in the way of what we want to do. They're getting in the way of the freedom that we hope to have, to, to travel, to be able to pursue our hobbies, to, to do what we want rather than as reminders of what God wants us to do. God gives us children to remind us of the calling that he gave to our first parents to be fruitful and to multiply. God wants us to receive our children as a heritage or as an inheritance from him. When he gives us children, he, he's taking those who, who belong to him and he's entrusting them to us so that we would steward them on his behalf. Now, I do quite a lot of premarital counseling in my church, and I've heard more times than I would like to admit people complaining about how expensive children are, how much they cost, and therefore how many kids they can have because they're making the economic calculations in their minds. Perhaps you've said something like that yourself. I mean, it's easy to treat family planning as purely a matter of economic consideration. And I'm not saying that that's irrelevant, but the temptation behind that kind of thinking is that we fail to recognize just how precious our children are. They're not just another line on our budgeted expenses. They are a reward from the Lord, an inheritance from the Lord. Now, just imagine in this real estate market, giving your children a beautiful house as an inheritance. And everybody's saying, wow, you are blessed. I mean, I wish that was me. I wish my parents did that. And you respond to that extravagant gift by saying, oh, it's going to cost so much money to maintain. I mean, that's what we do when we complain about how expensive our children are or we grumble about how much they're going to set us back. I and mean, that should never happen. Instead, we should rejoice and celebrate that God would entrust such a precious inheritance to sinners like us. Children are valuable because they have been given to us by God. And children are valuable also because of what they give back to their parents. Verses 4 and 5 say it like this, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. I love this picture of parenting. Parenting is taking little useless sticks and sharpening them into deadly arrows. It may not always look like that, 
when your little kids are tossing poop out of the bathtub? <laughs> yes, that has happened to me multiple occasions. Yesterday was actually the first time I, I gave my youngest, Owen, he's 15 months, it's the first time I gave him a bath where he did not poop in the bathtub <laughs> with himself and his brother in that water. I mean, functionally, they're useless. Okay? But one day, they will not be. And they will be deadly arrows in the hands of their parents. This is described in verse 5 where it says, He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The gate was the place in the city where accusations were brought and the elders of the city would adjudicate those accusations. It was like the local courtroom. And verse 5 is saying that if an enemy were to bring a charge against this blessed man, he could send his sons and daughters like arrows in the hand of a warrior and they would address those charges and remove any potential shame from their parents. I mean, what a blessing! What a blessing to have those resources at your disposal. Happy is the parent who has children who can be sent out like arrows. But if we're going to get there, we need to be intentional day by day to sharpen these sticks into arrows for the Lord. There is no greater joy than seeing your children honor you as their parents and honor the Lord as their God. If you have children like that, you are blessed. And the more you have, the more blessed you are. Writing of this joy, Charles Spurgeon wrote the following. To this end, we must have our children in hand while they are yet children, or they are never likely to be so when they are grown up. And we must try to point them and straighten them so as to make arrows of them in their youth, lest they should prove crooked and unserviceable in afterlife. Let the Lord favor us. Let this be our prayer. Let the Lord favor us with loyal, obedient, affectionate offspring. And we shall find in them our best helpers. We shall see them shot forth into life to our comfort and delight if we take care from the very beginning that they are directed to the right point. I love that. I mean, all of us as parents are are shaping our children towards some objective, whether it be a, a professional objective or a personal objective. But Charles Spurgeon, this, this text, this, this psalm, Psalm 127 reminds us that we are to direct them to the Lord, that they would be shot forth to serve him. And that is what we are called to do, to shape and to sharpen arrows for the Lord. And as we do that, we remember, we remember, my, my dear brothers and sisters, that God himself has done the same thing. He has done the same. As much as these verses about, are about your child, they're ultimately about God's child who became the savior of the world. Jesus is all the things described in these verses. He is our inheritance from the Lord. He is the blessed fruit of the womb. And he is the heavenly arrow shot from heaven into the world to take away our shame. Jesus came into the world and died on the cross so that when our enemy speaks to us at the gate, at the courtroom of our conscience, 
bearing accusations that we have broken God's commands, then we would have an arrow, an arrow sent from the Father, and he would provide a complete answer to the devil's accusations. Yes, we have broken God's commands. Yes, we have fallen short of his glory. Yes, we have rebelled against his will. But the Son of God came and bore our sin and our shame upon himself on the cross to silence the enemy and to bring about rejoicing in heaven. Jesus is the arrow from heaven. He is the inheritance from the Lord and he is the blessed fruit of the womb. He is the child who was given, the son who was born as the savior of the world so that all, all, all people could find refuge in him through faith. And today God calls all of us to trust in him, whether again or for the first time, to look at Jesus and to hear the father say, behold, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, in a few minutes, the parents among us will leave this room and pick up their children. I don't know if that's true of this service or the second service or both, but perhaps you have children that you're going to be picking up or they're sitting beside you if they're older. I want you to look at them and remember that these are God's reward for you. These are God's inheritance to you. Your children are God's reward. His inheritance that he has entrusted to you to steward on his behalf, to shape and to sharpen them into arrows for the Lord. Listen, my friends, the church should be full of the happiest parents in the world. It should be full of parents who delight in their children because we serve a heavenly father who delights in his children. The happier we are as parents, the better we reflect the holy love of our God so that more and more people would come to see the Father's love and worship him as well. So let me close by leaving you with a few questions for personal application. I have three categories of questions for you to answer with yourself and with your spouse if you're married and you have your own children. First, first category, how, how can you show your children that you delight in them? I think about Pastor Jason buying little figurines at the World of Disney in Orlando. We, had, we didn't have much spare time during the conference, but we had this one free afternoon, and, and he went to the World of Disney and bought a little Mickey Mouse and a Minnie Mouse for little Caroline and Timothy. He delights in his children. And clearly, I, I don't. I didn't buy them something from the World of Disney, <laughs> but I did buy them something from Trader Joe's. I mean, when you have six children, I can't shop at World of Disney, all right? I, I bought them a little bag of candies, like 20 little fruit gummies, and I just give them one each. That's, that's how I show them that I delight in my children. I mean, how can you show your children that you delight in them? I mean, when, when you come home from work and they're all at home, I mean, do you just ignore each other? Do you tell them to get out of your face, or do you give them a big hug? and remind them that daddy or mommy loves them? Do you mark special occasions to celebrate what God is doing in their lives? To remind them that you're thinking about them and that that thinking is leading to planning and action where you're celebrating milestones in their lives. I mean, how can you show your children that you delight in them? 
Second category of questions. Do you give thanks to God regularly for your children? Reminding yourself that children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. I mean, do you consider yourself blessed? I don't know what you're going through during this pandemic. Loneliness, isolation, lost jobs, division in your family because of controversy over vaccines. I don't know what you're experiencing, but if you have children, you can consider yourself to be blessed. Because God has given, you to them, given them to you as a reward. Do you pray for your children regularly, knowing that unless the Lord builds the house, all of your efforts, all of your anxiety, all of your planning, your skill, your, the parenting seminars you go to, it's all in vain. Third category. How is God calling you to shape and sharpen these arrows that he has put into your quiver? Are you attentive to their individual needs? Do you know their personal struggles? Are you regularly talking with your spouse about how you can help your children grow? When you look at your weekly schedule, both your personal schedule and your schedule for your children, what does it say about what you want most for your kids? I mean, what, what target are you shaping and sharpening them to hit? These are important questions to ask and to talk about with your spouse because if we do not parent according to God's plan in Scripture and in dependence on God's sovereign power, we are building without him and we are building in vain. But if we build with the blessing of God, then nothing will stop him. Nothing in all the world will stop him from building a house out of our families that will last for generations. Let's pray.